0: Judges chapter 6, verse 25 to verse 32. You should hopefully have an outline uh, for this evening that uh, sets out uh, the points that we are looking at. I think it's helpful to have that uh, in front of you as we go through this uh, narrative. I wonder, what do you consider to be the ultimate expression of loyalty Uh, Where have you seen someone being so loyal to something or someone? And it has really just moved you and you're like, wow, that is so loyal. When I think of loyalty, I think of marriage. Uh, Like the marriage of Cain and Margaret who celebrated their 80th wedding anniversary in June in Wales. They live in Wales and uh, when I read their story, they apparently, they have only parted company from each other once during the Second World War. And in fact, even now, they old hands because they regret that moment when one had to go off, I guess, and fight. And uh, they miss that time so much that for eight years now, they have been walking hand and in hand. Recently, Ken feared he would never see his wife after he went into hospital. Uh, but they were reunited again at a nursing home, and uh, the BBC, of course, did a report about them. Eighty years! Uh, praise the Lord for that. Eighty years together. We are currently in the book of Judges. It is a history of God's people, as you know, Israel as they settled in the promised land of Canaan. Now, before Israel entered Canaan... Uh, They agreed with God that they would be fully loyal to him as their husband, like Margaret with Cain. Uh, They promised not to worship the false gods of Canaan, uh, but as we have seen as we've been going through this, as soon as they get into the land, everything falls apart. They become completely disloyal to God. And yet what is amazing is that as we saw this morning when we looked at God's call of Gideon, we saw that God has not given up on them. They are completely disloyal to God. They don't want anything to do with Him. They are worshipping these idols of Canaan. But God has not given up on them. He wants to be with them. He wants them to be loyal to Him. And this morning we are talking about the fact that God... Is wants them to welcome him in their life, just as he has welcomed them. And we saw this morning that God has appointed a man called Gideon to serve them, to free them from the oppression of the Midianites as a first task, but also eventually to wipe out the idols in Israel, so that God's people can be back in a loving relationship with him. It's a great task that God has called Gideon to. We'll see. But what's interesting is that as we look at this passage this evening, we'll see that in order for Gideon to fulfill his task as God's new judge, God's new government in Israel, in order to perform this task, he must first lead by example. He must show Israel what ultimate loyalty to God looks like. You see, Gideon cannot help Israel become loyal to God if Gideon himself is not loyal to God. We cannot lead others to follow Christ if we ourselves are not following Him. And we cannot challenge sin in the lives of those we lead, whether at home or in the church, if we ourselves are tolerating sin in some area. God wants complete loyalty. I wonder what your definition of loyalty is, but uh, the Urban Dictionary says loyalty is standing by the people and the things you love, even in the darkest times. I think it's a reasonable definition, but we'll see that as we look at this passage in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 to 32, that God's definition of loyalty, I think, from this passage Is not only uh, standing by some things, it's standing by Him against sin in your backyard. Mm -hmm. And so the question we're asking this evening is this How is your loyalty to God? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to yourself? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to your family? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to your friends? Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to society? Where is your ultimate loyalty? That's what God is asking us in this passage. And there are just four truths we observe from Gideon's first assignment, which I want to share, about what loyalty to God really is. And the outline will help you, and, uh, uh, and hopefully you have it in front of you. The first truth we learn here about loyalty is, first of all, simply God demands our loyalty. God demands our loyalty. Now, Gideon has had the best day of his life. We know that from verse 11 to verse 24. He has met the angel of the Lord. And he's created an altar. The Lord is peace. His life has been transformed. It's not often God shows up and sits under the tree near your house. That's happened to him. And I'm sure he's very happy as as he sits there now. You know, at the end of the day, he's probably lying in bed thinking of this new joy in Christ, this new joy in God now, this new relationship he has. And then all of a sudden, he gets his first matching orders. God wants him to go and destroy his father's property. Look at verse 25. That night, the night in the morning God had appeared to him, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull, and the second boo. by the way, in some version, really it should be your father's bull, that is the second boo, so to speak. It's not really two boos here, but it doesn't matter really. It should really be read as one bull. Um, some versions make that clear. But the ESV gives the impression that it's two animals. But anyway, take your father's boo and the second boo, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the Asherah that is beside it. We pause there. We see that the assignment God is giving him is to go and destroy, first of all, his father's property, the altar of Baal. What is the altar of Baal? Well, an altar, as we mentioned this morning, is where, obviously, you offer sacrifices and prayers to God. The Israelites here are offering sacrifices and prayers to Baal. They offer sacrifices there and they've created this altar and uh, archaeologists discovered one of these altars of Baal uh, at Megiddo uh, it was 26 feet by 5 feet and quite elevated it's quite a big thing uh, and it's got many stones there and it's cemented by mud. Uh, it's a big thing they are proud of these things that Josh has made uh, to worship this uh, Baal who is this Baal that they have created the Hota to? Well, the Canaanite religion, if you know something about it, is full of perverse uh, worship of nature, immoral gods and prostitute goddesses and serpents. In fact, in Canaanite religion, uh, the main god is El. And they believed El has a son called Bel, And Bel. Is a, is a god of storm and lightning and rain. That's important because what they really believed about Baal is that Baal really is the god, one of the many gods they worship, who controls all reproduction. So basically, uh, if you want to be rich, and you want to have good crops, and you want to have large flocks, just set up an altar to Baal. I mean, that's their prosperity gospel, so to speak. If you want to be rich, set up an altar to Baal. And basically, you'd be very rich. And this is what Gideon's father has done. And he has set up not only the altar of Baal, but, welcome. He has not only set up the altar of Baal uh, for good measure, Gideon has also set up um, something called the Asherah. The Asherah that he set up is Paul. Uh, Asherah is a goddess as well. Uh, Asherah is a consort of Baal. So what is happening here is that Joash has set up an altar of a husband and a wife. He's got his marriage thing going on with these gods. and He set them up and uh, he's very proud of them. And God gives Gideon an assignment to go and destroy this property. Look at verse 26 of Judges chapter 6. Verse 26 it says this, not only to destroy the property, but to build a new altar after it's destroyed. It <clears throat> Verse 26 says, um, And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. So you get the idea. Break down your father's property. And after you've broken it down, what you should do is build a new altar on top of it and offer a sacrifice there. Now, this is a very difficult assignment at many levels. I just want to mention two. The first thing that's difficult about what God is asking Gideon is simply that God is commanding Gideon to disobey his father, first of all. Not only disobey his father, He's commanding him to destroy his property and also to take an animal from his father without his father's permission. Now, if you know your Bible, that is, raises an immediate question. How do we reconcile God's command to give you near with what we know in the Bible elsewhere? You shall obey your parents, you shall not take other people's property. How do we reconcile what God is asking? And what is in the Bible? It's an interesting question. I wonder how you have answered that already as I pose that question. Well, it's very simple. And the answer lies in Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to verse 24. Gideon here is not acting as Joash's son. Remember, Gideon has now been commissioned by God as a new judge of Israel. He is now acting effectively as the government of Israel. He's is God's agent of justice. And because God owns everything and has given the power now to, to Gideon to exercise, what's quite interesting actually is that when you think about it, it is not Gideon taken from Joash, it is Joash who was stolen from God. Gideon is now enforcing what should be right here, which is they are not meant to use God's resources for idolatry, as Joash has been doing. So there's no challenge there in terms of us understanding the scripture. In fact, it just elevates Gideon's stature now. He is God's man in Israel, and he's acting beginning in his own household. But the key point here is that God has commanded him to begin cleansing Israel of idolatry, as I've said. Starting in his own backyard. This is what this is all about. That is a very difficult command. Think about it. This is like God asking a new Christian converted in Iran, okay, in a Muslim country... To go to a local mosque, owned by his father, and tear it down, but don't end there, build a church there. It is hard. Can you think of anything more dangerous than what God is asking Gideon? This command is a death penalty. It is the ultimate test of loyalty. The question is Is Gideon willing to turn against his dad? Is Gideon willing to perhaps be killed if he gets caught for doing this? Where is Gideon's loyalty? And that's the question God is asking each and every one of us here this evening. Where is your loyalty? Where is your loyalty when you are confronted with sin in your family and in your community? The application has to be in our family and community because that's what the text is about. Gideon is being asked to deal with sin in his own family, in his local community. So the question we all of us have to ask here when you're confronted with sin, do, do you confront that sin and stand with God, or do you just shrug your shoulder and say, Well. Anyway. What? Big deal. We need to take this issue very seriously. Because you see, many of our churches struggle because godly men and women are good to correct sin in everyone else except in people close to us. It's a challenge I face as a pastor. I can be very good to correct sin when I've met a person for two, three, five, six, seven weeks, but am I willing to deal with sin with a person that I'm very, very close to? My George, I want to suggest that our churches will be stronger if we had the courage to confront sin in the people we get on very well with. Those who buy our Christmas cards, our churches will be stronger if we our best friends we didn't just turn a blind eye to them we reached out to them and we lovingly said to them you need to get your act together here we need to understand this important truth actually as a church and I want to make a very serious point here as we move forward as a church your loyalty is not to me your loyalty is not to me It's not even to anyone here. Your loyalty is to God. So if you see sin in my own life, confront it. I don't mean like, you know, come fist fighting. Come to me. Talk to me about it. So I can deal with it. I tell my wife, look, you know, if I lose my way, tell me quickly, you are not fit to serve. I need to hear that. You need to hear that. And so, as a church, there's an application here for us. If you see a pattern of sin in my life or the life of the leadership, and you don't mention it, how can we move forward? We can't. Because it starts here, in Josh's household. He's saying, God is commanding him to begin there. We cannot lead our people if we don't deal with sin closer to us. So we must lovingly ask that all of us get involved in tearing down sin in each other's lives. Where is your loyalty? Because God demands loyalty. It is a difficult command. But the good news is, there's always good news, How of judges, I'm enjoying Judges because there's always good news in Judges. And the good news is that God enables our loyalty. It's a difficult thing, he's asking Gideon. But he's already helped him and you will help him to do it. So that's our second point. God enables our loyalty. Point number one, God demands our loyalty. Point number two, God enables our loyalty. God's command to Gideon, as I said, is challenging. We expect Gideon uh, to protest, actually. <laughs> this Gideon is good at negotiating. We'll see that. This is, this is actually strong suit. He negotiates more than anyone, perhaps, in Scripture with God. He's asking for sign, left, le- right, and center. And that's what we're expecting him to do. He just want to say, God, are you sure it's you talking? Can I just make sure? But he doesn't do that here. He obeys immediately. Do you see that? And he does that... <coughs> even though he's afraid. Brother Michael, I think it's good that Gideon is afraid because Gideon understands the task. And he's there, he's shaking, but he's doing it. That's what matters, he's doing it. Look at verse 27. Oh, how we pray for more men that would shake but still do it. Look at verse 27. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it to do it by day he did it by night you know we can imagine Gideon there with his ten men they are slaving away in the night they are probably looking at their backs to see if anyone else has seen them they are frightened as I said but they get the job done uh, Gideon has obeyed God why has he obeyed God he has obeyed God because God has enabled him to do it and you can see God's hand throughout here. I mean, it is God who has given him these ten men. Right? Ten men. I mean, how do you convince ten men to destroy an altar? I mean, equivalent of a mosque, as I said. But God has worked in these hearts of ten men. Thank God for people who give themselves willingly in the night when no one is watching. And they are there slaving away for God and for him. And it is God who has ensured uh, for this night at least that every worshipper of Baal is fast asleep. Don't miss that. I mean, this is quite easy have stopped, but just every, somebody waking up the leader of the town or something. But just for this night, they are sleeping, and Gideon can get on with it. Thank God we worship a God who rules the day and rules the night. But notice that God's greatest provision to Gideon actually happened earlier in the day. It happened under the terebinth, under that tree when God visited him in verse 11 to verse 24. Because you remember, God visited Gideon and Gideon welcomed God in his life. And because Gideon has welcomed God in his life, he's now able to do this most difficult task. Look, without Judges 11 to 24, there cannot be verses that follow. God must first meet Gideon, for Gideon now to have his courage to do it. God must first invade your life. You must first welcome him, for God to enable you to do the difficult commands that he's asking you. God never commands us to do that which he cannot enable us to obey through his power. The God of the Bible is a God who always supplies his grace to obey. And he does this by enabling us first to welcome him in our lives. God first gives us new by making us born again. And it's only when, when we are born again that we then are able to obey. More than that, the God of the Bible does not only make us born again. The God of the Bible does what? He gives us his Holy Spirit who lives and powerfully enables us from within to be loyal in difficult situations. There is no good asking a sinner to obey. they won't. God must go in, change their heart. Change them from within. Give them a new nature that is then able to obey. And that's what God does. You cannot obey this command without first being changed by the Lord. Now, I don't know what area of your life God is asking you to tear down the backyard backyard sins in your life God is asking you to deal with. But whatever God is asking you to do, whether it's your family or it's the community or society in general, it's very easy for us to feel out of depth. Telling a sister in the church who idolizes her family above God is not easy. But the promise of this passage is that if you surrender to God, God will use you to equip you for that service to have that difficult conversation you need to have. Amen? If God will do that. He's sharing the good news of Jesus, so to speak, tearing out there in the Broadway, where we're tearing down, so to speak, the idols in the public. Going out there to evangelize is hard. I often when I'm there, I have fun, but before I go there, I feel we out of depth. But God is available to equip us. He promises to be with us through his Spirit. God demands and enables our complete loyalty to him. And he does more than enable us, we see in this passage. He also protects our loyalty. And that's our third truth. God protects our loyalty. So first truth is that God demands our loyalty. Truth number two, he doesn't just demand, he enables us to be loyal to him. But he doesn't just enable us to be loyal, he also protects our loyalty to him. You see that Gideon and his men finish the work, they do it quickly, and they get away, and as they are catching up on their sleep, the town is waking up. Look at verse 28 to verse 29. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and their Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second boom was offered on the altar that has been built. And verse 29 says this, And they said to one another, Who has done this? Immediately an inquiry is set up to find out who has done it. Verse 29 concludes, it says, And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Somehow they find out it is Gideon. And so they go look for him. Verse 30 tells us, Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal, and cut down the Asherah beside it. I just want to pause the video there. Outside Joash's house. What do we see? Uh, We see an angry mob, don't we, of men holding dangerous weapons to murder Gideon. They are looking for him. All of them are there outside. But if we look closely at this angry mob, we see, we look closer, what else do we see? We see that these men are actually Abiezarites. We see that these are not Canaanites. Don't get this confused. These are God's people now. They belong to the clan of Manasseh. They are men of Israel, not Canaanites. They are the ones, Josh is a big man in Manasseh, even though Gideon says he's the least. These guys, they are meant to be worshipping God, but they have come out with clubs to kill Gideon. They have gone totally native, we might say. They want to kill Gideon. Why do they want to kill Gideon? They want to kill Gideon for worshipping the true God of Israel. Now, this is important. Because the law of Moses says what? You put people to death for worshipping idols. But these guys have turned everything completely around. Instead of being on the side of Gideon, sin has infected them. That right has become wrong. In this society they are living in, they can't tell they are left from their right hand. What should be right, they are calling wrong, and what should be wrong, they are calling right. Does the town of Ofra remind you of anywhere? Anywhere familiar? Anywhere local, perhaps? Well, it should remind us of the country we are living in. Britain has had a strong Christian presence here. Since the second century. But now Christians are ridiculed by the media. Just watch Pius Morgan and his many programs he puts on. And now he derides. Any Christian who come on there. Or is it Pius Morgan? I don't even know his name. The point is that, you know, nowadays this is life in the UK. Wrong is right. Gender fluidity is going mad. In our schools gay marriages, three parent babies, rampant pornography. The list is endless. In the UK, right is wrong. That's what sin does. We are offering. So back to Gideon. We see here, what will George do? After all, it is his altar that has been destroyed. We will give Gideon up. Look at verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you serve him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Wow. <laughs> You're not expecting that from Joash. Blood has proved thicker than water. We have to remember here that Josh has invested heavily in this Baal shirai This franchise is run by him. This is his business. But it seems he prefers his son over Baal. Or could it be something more is happening? Could it be maybe Gideon has taught his father by the angel of the Lord? Could it be Gideon has explained what has really happened, how he could do such a thing? I mean, a father would ask me, why did you do it? And he's like, the Lord told me to do it. Could it be? We don't know. It might be that Joash is finally coming to his senses. We'll find out as the as as story evolves. But one thing we do know about Joash is that he's a good public speaker. You notice here that with a few words, he convinces them that perhaps Baal may not be as strong as we think he is, alright? Uh, he says, look, at least, look, let, if, we, if we think Baal is strong, well, you know, at least let's see how Baal gets on. Let's see if he can deal with Gideon on his own. And it seems that argument has persuaded uh, the men of the town. And they leave Gideon alone. Look at verse 32, the final verse. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is, let Baal contend against him. Gideon has a new nickname, Jeroboam. It is intended to mock Baal. It is t- intended to show that Gideon has now prevailed over Baal. He has broken down the altar and is now leading his people into a new relationship with God. Gideon is loyal to God, and God, we see here, has protected him. God has kept Gideon safe because why? Because God is faithful. Remember, God has, had promised him in verse 23. He said, you shall not die, and Gideon is being protected here. Now, we should make a very important point. This does not mean that every time we are loyal to God, nothing bad will come to us. That's not what this means. Jesus was loyal to God, and that meant death for us. The point here is that, as loyal children of God, God is always our protector. And that whatever happens in our lives, even if a mob turning up, we can trust in God's will for us, in His sovereign will in every situation. We need to remember this point, friend, especially when it comes to this issue of tearing down the orders of sin in our lives and communities. Taking a stand against sin makes us fearful. We fear that not going with the crowd at work will mean losing out on that promotion. That can feel as we fear. We fear that telling the boss at work to stop bullying another person may lead them, the boss, to start bullying us or isolate us from certain privileges. We fear that being faithful at school and not cheating may mean that we actually fail the exam than if we are taking an easy route. We fear that pointing out sin may mean losing people we love because we are honest about their need to change and tear down idols. Those things make us fearful. I I come back to this point that I... I I like the fact that Gideon is fearful as he tears down those idols. But that's because that's how I am. I fear. I want to obey God, but I'm fearing. And so it is good here to know that God doesn't just enable us. He protects us through that. He preserves us. And it's interesting with Jeroboam here, with Gideon, he doesn't just preserve Gideon. Do you see that? He enhances his reputation. And we'll see that name Gideon is given here as Jerubel will be very important as he leads Israel because his reputation now has grown. And now we'll see he's going to be able to take on the Midianites. The message I just want to say here is that God protects our loyalty. We are safe in God. So whatever God is asking you to tear down, do not fear. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. God has your back. God has your back at work. God has your back in your family. And God has your back in this church. And here is the final bit we learned from this episode. Just briefly, not only does God protect our loyalty, ultimately God perfects our loyalty in Jesus. He perfects our loyalty in Jesus. That's the final point. First point, God demands our loyalty. Point number two, God enables our loyalty. Third point, God protects our loyalty. And the final point is, it's not really about us. It's about Jesus. God has perfected our loyalty already in Christ. Because the question we have to ask is, why is this passage in the Bible? Whenever you open your Bible, at home, or wherever you are, the first thing you should ask is, why is this in the Bible? It is not here fundamentally to teach us to be loyal to God like Gideon, even though we've learned that. That's quite important. But that's not why it is here. If that's all you remember, then you've missed the big, big point. As we study the life of Gideon, it will become obvious that even though Gideon has welcomed God and even been so in love with the Lord, even Gideon will let God down we we'll see it. Abimelech is coming. And we'll see the mess that Gideon will make later. The point there surely is that there is a limit to our loyalty. And we have seen the signs of Gideon's struggle with loyalty already with his fear. So it's obvious that this passage is not meant to point us to Gideon. Rather it's pointing us forward to Jesus the Messiah of Israel who came and obeyed perfectly and without fear. Friends, do you see? Jesus is our Gideon. Uh, through Jesus' perfect life, Jesus has defeated the human order of idolatry that is within us. He has lived a perfect, obedient life in this body of ours. He has been loyal to God. And through his death on the cross, Jesus has erected a new altar through his blood. Through the altar of Christ, we now have an altar not made with human hands. We have immediate access to the throne of grace now through his blood. We have permanent access to the Father through him. Jesus has fulfilled all righteous requirements before God. To put it plainly, if you are in Jesus now. This is amazing. If you are in Jesus now. You are completely loyal to God. You are completely loyal to God. Despite all your failures to obey the first point. Despite your worries about the second point. And despite your fear. Despite all your sin, failures and weaknesses. If you are trusting in Jesus. God has declared you completely loyal. through Him, Before him through faith. Do you see the point now? Jesus is loyal for you and because he is loyal for you, if you are in him, you now must live a loyal life before God. The point is that if you are in Jesus, you now have all the resources, all the motivation to be loyal before God. Why? Because that is our new position and life in Jesus. It changes the very dynamic of our living. Tearing down sin in our backyard is a fruit of us being in Jesus. It doesn't get us to heaven. But if you're not tearing down idols in your backyard, if you are hush-hush about sin, if your Lord is not God, then there's a serious question about your standing in Jesus. But at the same time, if you're struggling in that area because you are in Jesus, you can come to Him. You can rejoice. You can say, Yes, Lord, I'm struggling. Help me. Help me to be more loyal to You in this area. So, the ultimate question we leave you with we all leave with ourselves this question Where is your ultimate loyalty? Is it in Christ? Or is it in things of this world? Amen.